Coming up this week, off screen. The mechanic stages a resurrection. We never stop never stopping with Popstar. We pet the war dogs. The latest purge falls in an election year. Noel Clark embraces the brotherhood. A Moldavar would like you to meet Julieta. And Stephen King does zombies in cell. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. So, welcome back, Case. Or, oh, so I say, uh, Mr. Guyon, because you know, you're, Guyon, you're, you're a married man now. Yes, so, you know, we got that to And thank you, by the way, for the lovely uh, Iron Man reference you threw my way in your wedding speech. That was that was beloved. You got me the biggest laughs of my speech. So, thank you for thank you for being there, looking like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> it, it was like a it was like a Cameron Crowe affair. It was it a beautiful was, day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we should start, of course, this week speaking of a far less iconic director than Cameron Crowe <laughs> or anyone involved in the Iron Man movies, um, <laughs> David Ayer. We should talk about David Ayer really quickly. Because he's he's had to deal with some criticism over the last fortnight, you know, since we last did the show. Bit, a little bit. Um, he put out that little movie, uh, you know, the uh, the slightly suicidal bunch, I think, something along those <laughs> lines. <laughs> the, the murdery team. Yeah. And uh, well, it hasn't gone down brilliantly as regards some of its characters. No, um, not in terms of critics. In terms, or, well, not in terms yeah. of critics, but uh, some audience as well. There is a character in there called Slipknot, and you might in in the film itself, uh, he is the only member of the Suicide Squad who's not given an origin story. And he's also then used as the almost immediate example as to how they can be controlled by the government. Needless to say, he's killed quite early on. Yeah, it's very and much kind of like, it's a blink and you miss it. Exactly. Yeah. He's also a completely pathetic character, since his only his only ability is climbing things yeah, with a rope. rope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He ties good knots, slip knots, one might mm. say. Um, needless to say, his cool name has nothing to do with the band. Anyway, um, David Ayer has answered the criticism regarding this with what has turned out to be his stock answer to everything, which is, oh, well, we filmed more stuff, but we edited it out. We left it on the cutting room floor. Yeah. So that was the same response for the Joker criticism. Yeah, as well. for the Joker and uh, indeed the plot of the film. So, yeah. Yeah, there's that. But uh, better luck next time, David. I I do really like him. I just uh, I look forward to him doing something. Yeah. Next time. I think so. Yeah. So shall we? Uh, shall we crack on with the box office top ten for the week? Because you've seen some of this stuff and I haven't. So I have. this is this is an let's interesting it, interesting combo. So let's take it away. Number ten. Star, Star Trek, Trek Beyond. Do we even need to cue that one up? Do we need to reference what that is anymore? I don't Although, think we do. If it's at number ten, it's probably the last time we're going to get to use that button. So I'm sorry, Case. You, you got to become a button briefly. Hey, I've had five weeks, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so Star Trek Beyond. You've seen Beyond as well. I mean, I have. What did you think of it? Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty good. I, uh, I enjoyed it more from the second one. Yeah. Definitely. I thought it was a better bad guy, but. I'll, I'll look forward to the next one when Chris Hemsworth returns. I, do you know what I say? say I say the same. It's kind of uh, wet my appetite for that. I, I kind of wanted to feel more like a serious hardcore Trek film, not just a standalone adventure. You no, know it was though. good to see them going into space. There was that. There yeah. was that aspect. That of it felt as well. more like an episode. Number nine. Nine lives. <laughs> have you I, seen wanna, this? I want to see it. I've, have you not, seen, I've not seen it. I haven't seen it because obviously we've both been away. Uh, you've actually caught some of the films I haven't seen whilst we were away. And uh, by, by the way, I cannot believe you on your honeymoon went to see Suicide Squad. Really? 
Solo as well. So, Solo. Your poor wife. Yeah. Man. <laughs> she was at work and I happened to be off. And I was like, I'll go see that film that everyone hates. And uh, more on that later. <laughs> yeah, so it's Nine Lives. Neither of us have seen it yet. I don't think it's going to be in the top ten next week. So there's probably not a reason for us to actually see it. So. I, I think I might try. Number eight. Swallows and Amazons. I've not had the pleasure. I've heard good things about this. I've heard good things. Not seen this one either. This is going to be... Because I've literally come back today to this. So, you know, I've got to do my catch-ups on Friday. So I'm going to do this. Do David Brent as well. And... Yeah, I've got all that to look forward to. Number seven. Pete's Dragon. I now, have seen this. You have seen this. Do you you have something of a spiritual experience with this, so please take it away. I wouldn't say a spiritual experience, but I definitely really, really enjoyed it. I watched this and I watched Finding Dory in the same morning, and it was great. It was fantastic. Just excellent fan film. Best family film since Jungle Book, which is also Disney. Um, true. The only thing I didn't really like about it was <clears throat> the family relationship between Carl Urban and Wes Bentley. I could have done a little bit more there. It did seem a rather undefined relationship, actually, because yeah. for half the film, I didn't realise it was meant to be brothers. Exactly, yeah. So I wanted to see like more of like a sibling rivalry kind of a yeah, deal. I, I kind of understand. The actual dragon was great, and everything else was good as well. Number six. Lights Out, which I planned on seeing, but Cassie told me we weren't going to go see it, so I haven't seen it either. I didn't get to see it myself, no, and I'm really looking forward to it. I really want to see it. Our mutual friend, uh, Screen Magazine writer, Mr. John Dickinson, raved, raved about mm. this movie, and uh, I'm, I'm going to take him at his word and go and see it. Uh, this, for the record, John has left me with a stack of horror movies I need to get through yeah. at some point. He is a horror movie sensor. <clears throat> he is. He, he recommended one to me called The Aggression Scale, which is meant to be like a murderous that. version of Home Alone, which I'm oh, very man. much looking forward to now that I've said um, it out loud. We already have that. It's called The Equalizer with Denzel Washington. There's <laughs> <laughs> that. So, uh, well, let's take a minute, then we'll plug the podcast edition, because we're not going to fit everything in this week. I think we're going to leave uh, Julieta and Cell uh, to the podcast extras this week. Uh, so if you, need, if you want to listen to the full and extended version of the show, go on iTunes, go on Acast, go on TuneIn, uh, Deezer, Podcast Island, such any of the podcast apps you want. Type in off. Type in off screen and uh, and we're on there. Download it and get the full extended version of the show, which brings us, of course, to our first real review of the week. And uh, I figured we'll start strong. We're going to start, <laughs> put our best foot forward. Yep. We're going to go with the Stath. Always go with the Stath. Always go with the Stath when you can. And um, it's Mechanic Resurrection. And did, were you a fan of the Mechanic? Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I quite liked the first one. I am one of those, I thought, yeah, it's all right. It wasn't brilliant, yeah. Statham. I don't know if it needed a sequel. And then I saw the trailer. <laughs> and then I was like, this definitely needs a sequel. <laughs> right, let, let me get to that. Let me get to that. So what you've got is you've got, okay, it's a couple of years after the events of uh, the first mechanic. Um, and, and spoiler alert, if you've not seen the mechanic, it ended with him faking his death. So uh, Arthur Bishop, Jason Statham's character, is the masterful assassin who makes it look like you had an accident. That's his his skill is making it look accidental, your death. And uh, he faked his own at the end of the first movie. And when this movie opens, he's living in South America under a new name, under a strangely Hispanic name as what well. What is his name? I, don't, I forget offhand. But he's got Hispanic name and he lives on a houseboat where he plays his old vinyls. And, uh, and he, he he's, le- he's doing the James Bond in Skyfall. He, he is Thanks. doing exactly. He lines his boat with the explosives every time he goes out for coffee and things like that. One day he is approached by representatives of a hitman named uh, an arms dealer, sorry, named Crane, who is also an old friend gone bad. And uh, Crane says, "I'm going to expose you to the world. Tell the world you're still alive unless you go out for me and take out three targets." Needless to say, he doesn't take too kindly to this, and uh, soon enough, having burnt his South American life, he has absconded to Asia to set up another new life with Michelle Yeoh, his old friend who runs a beach shack, because we all have a friend like Michelle Yeoh who runs a beach shack. I've got two. 
Have you, you got two of those? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you got Michelle Yo Yo. That's, that's what that is. <laughs> See, Very good. A week off, you've missed this. Um, so he goes there, and before long, he has to. He helps out um, a, a struggling American passerby, played by uh, uh, Jessica Alba. I almost said mm. Jennifer. I almost said Jessica. Bill, Jessica. Bill. I always confuse the yeah. two as well. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Alba, who it turns out isn't completely innocent, and has actually been sent there on purpose by Crane to lure him in and get her to fall for him, so that she can use him. But it all goes a bit wrong, and they actually do fall for each other. And then Crane decides, I'm going to show up anywhere, I'm going to kidnap her, and that's why you're going to do the three hits for me, because I got your lady, man. So, with that in mind, then, here's a clip. What's going on? Gina Thorne. American. Is she right? Yeah. You're the second woman that was my picture on her phone. First was working for a guy called Crane. Name ring a bell. The only thing you got right was my name. First woman was a messenger. The way you are. So what's the message? I already told you. Tell me about Crane. What are you supposed to do for him? Where is he? Do you know what? It's nice to have him back, isn't it? Yeah. It's always nice I, to have the stage I rewatched back. Spy the other day. Oh, he's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Cassian have seen it. She's never seen it. No, she, I'm, she, I'm she gobsmacked. It. Well, it says a lot about uh, Jason Statham that he can go away for a year or two, come back with just what should be unmitigated dross, and yet we love it because he's just doing what he does well. He never has any ideas where we station Jason Statham, and I really like that about him, and I really respect that about him. He knows he's fun to watch in what is effectively schlock, and this is the schlockiest of the bunch. Like you say, nobody wanted or needed a sequel to I the think mechanic. anyone really thought about it. No one needed a a sequel to a remake of a 1971 Charles Bronson movie, which happened to have been remade from the director of Con Air. No one needed that. <laughs> Shout out Simon West. <laughs> yeah, Simon West. And no one needed it, no one cared, and yet here it is, and you know what? It's a lot of fun. Statham's on form, Jessica Alba gets saddled with something of a, a sort of damsel in distress, or it's a little bit archetypical. Um, you've got a pretty convincing, uh, pretty convincingly menacing villain in David Heseldine, but um, maximum props, though, to Tommy Lee Jones, who turns up in what is effectively an extended cameo. But he turns up playing what appears to be an OAP version of the villain from Under Siege. <laughs> which he, you remember his villain in Under Siege? Imagine that guy reached pension age. Yeah. You've got his character in Mechanic Resurrection. And it's a lot of fun to behold. I, I, I enjoyed it against in spite of myself. I knew I shouldn't, yeah. but it had the set pieces, it had the bone crunching, <laughs> it had the oh I'm so Statham and you know, it had all that and everything that you want. Everything. Yeah. The only thing it lacks, I would say, is it lacks a little bit of the, the requisite Statham humour. It doesn't quite have, you know, that, that glibness that Statham's always had. They dialed it down a bit for this, and yet he had it in the in the first mechanic in a strange way. He did, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, I I did I did like it. I did enjoy it. Again, in spite of myself, um, it is a sequel. No one wanted, no one cared about, and yet, you know what? It's actually not that bad. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show.
And we're back. So, well, we, I, I hate to do it to you, Case. I really do. But I'm afraid we need to review the Noel Clark movie and <laughs> against my uh, wishes. So, I mean, have you seen Kidulthood? Have you seen uh, Adulthood? I have, yeah. And I've also seen Another Hood, but it's oh, nothing, nothing to do Another Hood is nothing to do with it. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm reliably told you are not to mention no. it to Noel Clark, apparently. He, he takes it yeah, him badly. Yeah, him and Adam Deacon had a uh, bit of beef, didn't they? Bit, bit of beef. Yeah, bit, bit of beef, beef yeah. yeah. And uh, Topside. Topside beef. Topside beef, Top yeah. yeah. Some rum. So, uh, Brotherhood, which uh, follows on, this is now 10 years since Kidulthood, and you've got... That's crazy. Uh, it opens with... This is the bizarre part. It opens with... Remember how uh, Search for Spock opened, where it had to recap all of Wrath of Khan? Yeah. This does exactly the same thing with Kidulthood and Adulthood. And only, you know, so imagine like a, a Wrath of Khan recap, mm. but it entirely focused on Noel Clark. So it'd be like if uh, Star Trek Beyond just focused on Noel Clark's yeah. beat him into darkness. And in the film for like you, 30 seconds. Yeah, you know that yeah. bit that he could have made 100 movies out of the budget for? Mm. By, by his own admins. Well, meet one of the movies. And <laughs> I'm not watching 97 more of these. I'll tell you, I'm not. Is, is that what he said? He said I could make 100 movies for what Star Trek Into Darkness cost. Well, he's not wrong. And then a year later, he produced, uh, he, he brought us The Anomaly, and we all wished he hadn't. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I that. yeah, yeah. So, anyway, he's back. He's uh, Sam Peel, the character, the thug who's gone to prison and come out reformed. He now works four jobs to support his family. And, uh, well, the movie opens. Opens with a uh, a shooting in a London club, um, and the victim happens to be Sam's younger brother. A note is left at the scene which says, "We're not done!" Exclamation mark Because you've got to have grammatical consistency; it's, mm. it's important. And uh, Sam finds himself forced to confront the sins of his past when he meets a new gangster uh, called Daily Mail. And the gangsters. Oh, we're just talking about the paper. No, no. The gangster, the gangster is, called is called Daily, Daily Mail. Mail. Wow. Yeah, our clip will explain this. Don't worry. And Daily Mail says, "Well, basically, I'm going to destroy your life unless you come work for me." Uh, and you, you know what? That 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 really is the plot. I'm, I'm I'm I can't really give it much more than that. Here's a clip. Ever hear of the Daily Family? What about of Essex? Used to be run by all the birds in the family. People used to call us the Daily Females. I mean, never to our faces. I don't want brave enough for that. And then I came along. And you know what that makes me? The Daily Mail. Get it? And now I run it all. Well, me and Mooks. And there's a reason I'm telling you all this. But we'll get to that. <laughs> Got a bit about you, boy, ain't you? I just want to know who's messing with my family. Scared, ain't you? So yes, welcome back to Noel Clark's world of modern youth culture. And right, can we just say off the bat, if you like adulthood, you like adulthood, you're gonna like this exactly the same, no more, no less. If you're tired of this and have been since about five minutes after it started, prepare for a really draining experience because this one isn't even as inept it isn't as even as consistent as the first two this is a new level of inept this is tonally completely at odds with itself there are sequences in this where i mean entire characters uh, there's a character henry his best friend and his wife who seem to have this entirely comedic storyline in which he's trying to lie to help his friend he's lying to his wife so he can get out to her. but it's played for laughs only it's not funny 
it's not believable in any real world context, and it seems like it's from another HUD and not any of the actual HUD movies. Mm. And then you've got the the villain who you've just heard in the clip, who genuinely is about as terrifying as Jay from the Inbetweeners if he popped to a branch of Burton's on the way to the shoot. And then you've got Noel Clark himself, who's you know. <laughs> He has to say, this is a 40-year-old man with a university education who genuinely thinks there's something to be gained from this this reintroduction of, you know, a financially struggling man who can still afford designer sportswear, runs through the streets of London in a rocky montage with his Beats headphones, and then stands atop council tower blocks like he's Batman. You know, for no reason. He lives in the suburbs, but he just goes and stands atop council tower blocks yeah. because of Batman. You know, and... And you just watch it all and you just think, it's kind of sad. Come on, Noel, you're now the old guy in the club. No one wants yeah. to be the old guy in the club. You were in Doctor Who. Yeah, just embrace this, own this. There's nothing urban about you anymore. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's nothing in there. I'm sorry, you took money to be in Star Trek. You know? Well, you think taking money to be in a big budget sci-fi makes him less black? <laughs> I'm just black. saying, I think, his, I think his edge has kind of worn off. I never said anything about him being less black, but mm. by the way... Less urban, absolutely. I, I didn't realise. Did you know Danny Dyer was in one of these movies at I one did. point? I did. I'd forgotten that nugget of information. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how you make a film. Yeah. From, you, go from good to great, you put in Danny yeah, Dyer. Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. The weird thing about all this, right, his, his writing is terrible. His writing is absolutely awful. I mean, at one point, he has genuine banter between people that consists of, Oi, Solomon Northup. And you're like, really? Because <laughs> nobody reels. Nobody real is going to make that reference. There are entire. I don't know. Scenes. I would probably say that. You would, but you're I a would nerd. Say that, but I am, I am a film nerd. You, you're, you're a nerd <laughs> through and through. And then you've got entire sequences where it becomes painfully obvious that Noel Clark has no idea how to write for anyone under 30 anymore. Because literally every line contains a variation on blood, fam. Uh, blood, fam. And there's another one as well. Uh, br- bruv, how- bruv, that yeah, was it. Bruv. Blood, oh, fam, and bruv. Yeah. It's those three, and they just put into like a blender, and they rotate it out. Mm. It's like a lottery machine; just different ball falls out each time. Up. Oh, that's bruv. Uh, and every line of dialogue, I'm not even like for reals, yeah, for reals, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Real, every real line, bruv. every line of dialogue. Um, but through it all, strangely, he emerges quite a good director. Huh. And that genuinely shocked me. I, I, I thought, you know, there's potential. He's a good director. He could actually be a great director, given what he puts out in this. Mm. The problem is, he's not a very good writer. And as far as his acting is, you don't care because his scripting is so bad. There's no character. There's no real characterization there beyond, I'm sad. I'm from the streets. Yeah. And also, this is now the third time he's done it. He's kind of... Yeah. It sounds like there's nowhere else we can really go with that particular character. Yeah. Do you know what? Let's fold the hoods. Let's put them back in the cupboard. Let's fold, move fold on. Fold the hood. Yep. Yeah. Let's, let's fold the hood. Yeah. Put it back in the cupboard. Move on. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on from the hood. Uh, by the way, uh, did you know that John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are going to team up again? I did know. Did you know? I did know. I know. I'm quite excited about this. They're going to be Sherlock Holmes and Watson yeah. in a comedy. This is going to be great. This is like when uh, Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley did it 20 years ago. Yeah. Remember that? Was it Without a Clue, that one? I think it was, yeah. yeah. I've got that. I'm not, I've never actually yeah. watched it. So, so it I don't know how long it's going to be until Adam McKay is announced as directing it. Yeah, I'm wondering about that myself, to be honest. <laughs> Any day. Any day. <laughs> Should we talk? We've got three minutes, then. Should we talk really quickly about the Purge election year? Yeah, I'm actually quite looking forward to hearing your opinion about this. Okay, have you seen it? No, I rewatched the second one the other day. Okay, in right. preparation for this. Funnily enough, the second one factors more into the third one than the first did into the second. So, bear with me on this one. Okay, so, cool. it is Purge Night. It's, say, three or four years on from Purge Anarchy. The uh, character played by Frank Grillo in the 
in the second one oh, has now Frank Grillapad. Frank Grillapad, yeah, yeah, because that's what his voice sounds like—a Grillapad on his throat, senator. <laughs> and uh, he is now the Secret Service aide to an aspiring presidential candidate, who is Elizabeth Mitchell Senator Charlie Rowan. Mm. And she herself, as the film's opening reveals to us, as a young girl, had, uh, had she and her entire family were taken hostage by a maniac on purge night who cho- killed them all one at a time, but let her go. So she witnessed her entire family be murdered on Purge Night in their own home. And that's how this film literally opens. Mm. Um, they set, set it up as being in the future, by the way, because iPods have been around for 20 years at the beginning of this film. Wow. Yeah. So this is now at, yeah. least, 20, uh, at least 2027. Mm. Certainly. So she wants to be president. She, and as her first thing, her whole campaign is, I want to do away with Purge Night. Of course, the Purge has you know revitalized America to reduce the crime rate, because for mm. one night a year, you're allowed to do anything. It's brought a lot of money in. And it has. But that's the thing, because as the second movie hinted at, this movie goes full throttle with, which is namely the idea that the people behind the Purge originally are actually using it to cleanse society of, for instance, the homeless. And and there are other industries like the insurance industry that's using it to squeeze the little guy by hiking up insurance rates the night before purge night and things like that. The powers that be, the new founding fathers of America, the NFA, who are run by uh, Raymond J. Barry's character of Caleb, um, elect to do away with with Elizabeth Mitchell's character entirely, get rid of the problem by, you know what, let's just assassinate her on purge night. So you can guess kind of where this goes. Here's a clip. What are you doing on purge night? Protecting the deli against looters because my boss lost his purge insurance yesterday. Yeah, that's something you can look into, Senator. Insurance companies screwing the working man. Yeah? What's your name, pal? You know what, Mr. Secret Service man, you should be thanking my black ass for helping you instead of interrogating me. His name is Joe Dixon. Joe Dixon, yeah. have I offended you? Yeah, man, just a little bit. Your feelings are not a concern of mine. Oh, respect. That's all I need. Shut respect. up. Please. Look. The looters I was telling you about. Purge night, Senator, what'd you expect? You know what to expect. You know, mm-hmm. it's purge night. It, yeah. So here are the things. When when we were told, hey, it's gonna be purge election night, given a certain election this year, you had certain expectations of where this was gonna go. Now, for obvious production window reasons, uh, that's obviously not happened. And what you've got instead is a film that is actually about morality. It is about the morality of the whole purge movement. And as I say, the second movie hinted at it. This movie, rather than dipping its toes in, just dives in, dives yeah. in wholeheartedly. The problem is, the film doesn't quite work if you sit and think about that morality for too long. Mm. So, for instance, the senator's assertion that uh, killing is wrong under any circumstances yeah. kind of falls to pieces when she and her merry band of survivors are themselves forced to kill to survive. To which you think, well, you kind of are proving their point, even though you're fighting for your life, and it is self-defense. That's the thing, though. Their back is up against the wall. What are yeah. they going to do? Ultim- but that's the thing. It does come up with... You're still going to kill when you're forced to. That's the problem. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. But on the performance front, Elizabeth Mitchell perfectly cast as mm. the sort of... Not... not so, And when I say self-righteous, I, in, a, in a positive way, a self-righteous yeah. senator, fits the bill perfectly, and she doesn't make her unlikable. Yeah. And that's I mean, the thing. Just the fact that 
there was a lady that is running for president in yes. the film. This was always going to be a comparison. Well, that keeps it surprisingly, it? you know, contemporary and topical yeah. in one sense. Um, there is uh, Frank Grillo. Was obviously, he's. Well, I think he's genuinely one of the underappreciated movie uh, action movie stars of the time. Absolutely, yeah. He's he is one massive mainstream film like, away from could, something. He could now lead something like the mechanic in his own right. I think he could think, yeah. definitely. Well, he has got something like that. Wolves or something coming up. He's got a show. I Big Bad Wolf. I think he's doing a show called King. Kingdom. That's, that, that's it, yeah, what I've got it to watch. Kingdom and there's also Animal Kingdom. Yes, confused, yeah. Um, but I wanted him to be the Punisher before uh, John Bernthal was announced. Uh, do you know what? So did I. Yeah, and, and then, fa- I said I said that after Purge, after yeah. the, the second Purge, the and I realized is, he was in Civil War. Yeah, no, he's in, he, uh, he's Captain, in America. Captain America. He's, yeah. Where the Wind Soldier. Yeah, Never mind. It all worked out. We just yeah. need to get Manu Bennett in the Marvel verse now, and we're all good. That's all we need. Yeah, all we get those three, those three guys in in Marvel movies, and we're all set. We've got Batista. Everything's fine. Anyway, John Cena for Red Hulk. Anyway, um... <laughs> oh my god, that'd you've be just, incredible. You just pictured that, haven't uh-huh. you? Yeah. <laughs> right. So back to the purge. Uh, Mikkelty Williamson, the former Bubba of Forrest Gump fame, um, and it's, it's so difficult to imagine him now as having been Bubba. And he is like this this well oiled machine, this dependable, reliable character yeah. actor who does the job perfectly. He's in Conair as well. He- yeah. Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah he is, definitely. He's, he's his friend, yeah. And uh, that's the thing. You like the movie. It delivers on the stakes that you expect it to. I genuinely do think the Purge franchise gets better with each passing instalment. Mm. Um, this film annoyingly leaves it in such a way that the series could actually end here. I'm mm. not quite sure how it's going to proceed going forward, but I'm sure that there, there's a faint hint at the end. And, uh, yeah, I liked it, though. I think... It's the best one yet. I That's think good. it delivers more on what I have always wanted from the concept of The Purge, mm. and I, I call that a win, to be honest. Cool. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, you know what we've got to talk about? We've got to talk about them dogs, Case. Which dogs are those, man? Them war dogs, Case. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've been looking forward to this, actually, in a strange way, <clears throat> because the, the story behind it all is quite interesting. This is based on a Rolling Stone article called uh, Arms and the Dudes. Hmm. Which is the I heard st- about it. This is the story of, uh, they are called Ephraim Deveroli and David Packhouse. Now, in the case of the movie, Deveroli is played by Jonah Hill, who is uh, <clears throat> the fattest and sleaziest you've ever seen him. <laughs> I, I mean, really. There's yeah. a pair, there's a pair he's, of... he's quite fat and sleazy in The Wolf of Wall Street. Fatter, sleazier, I yeah, promise. That's good. In, in both fatter and sleazier around the board. Yeah. And so there's a pair of sunglasses I'm now never going to be able to wear again after this movie. Um, <laughs> Miles Teller, of course, plays the other one. These two were 20 something dropouts mm. who found a niche for themselves and a way to, to basically become the big dogs by taking on government contracts, which they were legally obligated to offer to anyone publicly. Mm to fill munitions orders for uh, basically American military operations around the world. And, of course, this quickly leads to corrupt practices, um, ethical questions about arming the Afghani military, (laughs) all sorts of things you just couldn't fathom. Pretty crazy story. And it all comes from the director of The Hangover and Old School. Yeah, Tom Phillips. A man whose first film was funded by John Wayne Gacy. Here's a clip. Hey, seriously, is this safe driving to Baghdad? Yes, very safe. 50-50. 50-50, what, like 50% we live, 50% we die? Yes, that's why we drive through night. It's much safer. How much safer? 50-50. Bro, what the? Obviously he doesn't know what 50-50 means. Oh my God. Hey, what about gas, though? It's a long trip, no? 
No problem, man. Better or free in Iraq. No kidding. Free gas. Yeah. See what I'm talking about? Iraq is dope. I'm thinking about getting a place there. Free gas. Iraq is dope. And that's the sentiment behind the movie, because <clears throat> the reason the story is so intriguing, and again, you can go and read the Rolling Stone article, and they've, they've surprisingly got most of it quite accurate. Um, they only uh, embellish on very little facts. It's very strange. Um, what they've actually tapped into here is there is this almost big short kind of a story going on, and it feels like uh, Todd Phillips doing his own version of Three Kings, trying to channel his own David O. Russell. It feels yeah. like Lord of War meets Superbad. It feels like Big Short goes Baghdad. Yeah. And, it's, and do you know what? It's a lot of fun. You surprisingly, you will get a lot of laughs out of this. <laughs> um, but it also has elements of things like Goodfellas and Blow in there. Interesting you say that. I've heard a lot of people describe it to be his version of Goodfellas. Well, not his version, but, you know, his Goodfellas. Sort of I mean, it, yeah. it has that feeling to it, and the, the, there's, the, there's two aspects to it in one hand. There is the almost Wolf of Wall Street-like element, mm. which is Jonah Hill, and believe me, that is the most fun of the film. Jonah Hill absolutely steals this show, and yet it's all framed around um, Miles Teller's character. It's all meant to be from his perspective. He narrates it in the way that that uh, Henry Hill narrates Goodfellas. Absolutely, he's, more, exactly he's like the way. straight man. He's the accessible character. Very yeah. much so. Again, that that doesn't quite jive with reality because he was far more of a douche in the real story. It seems, <laughs> um, but strangely, it does all come together. It, you will laugh. It, there's not much actually that's wrong with it. I would say the weakest links in there are Miles Teller and Anna Diarmis because she's his wife. Mm. Uh, he's he plays David Packer. What, she plays what his wife. What would we know her from? Uh, knock Knock. In? Oh, right, yeah. She yeah. was the blonde one in Knock Knock. I think she's yeah. actually a brunette. She was in that awful movie, Exposed, with Keanu Reeves. Another, yeah. another one that was about the oh, angels. That was terrible Keanu Reeves season. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah the awful that. the yeah. awful Reeves, Reeves, Reeves patch we had, yeah. Um, they are the weak links in it, and not because they're particularly bad, but because they just surprisingly buy the numbers in a film in which Jonah Hill is so enjoyable. Yeah. And believe me, Jonah Hill and his maniacal laugh are, if nothing else, worth the ticket price. If you liked Three Kings, if you liked The Big Short, definitely check this out. It is a career high for Todd Phillips, a man who's not made a genuinely brilliant film, I don't think, since uh, Old School. And uh, even then, I wouldn't call that a jet. I like old school. Oh, it's a brilliant it film. It's a lot of fun. I haven't it had this much fun. fun with one of his films since the first old, yeah. since old school and moments of the first hangover. hangover yeah. First hangover. Um, but I say it, it, that's the thing. I, I really liked it. There's a gag with a Scarface poster, which will have you in stitches because why wouldn't they worship Scarface? Yeah. <laughs> well, the film's actual poster is like the Scarface poster. Well, that's it's like it. a riff on that. But there is there is a sort of the introduction. They just offhandedly have this massive Scarface, Scarface poster in there, <laughs> and, and and just just the sight of it will actually make you laugh. That's amazing. But uh, should we carry on the top ten? Because you've got to fill me in on a couple of things this week. I will do it for you, sir. Number five, the BFG. Oh, we've both seen this one, haven't we? I've not seen it yet. Have you not seen I've it yet? Still not oh, seen it. I can tell okay. you about the David Jason one. <laughs> Fair we'll enough. do that in podcast sections. Well, there you go. It 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 it's big. It's fun. It's gargantuan. It's uh, it, it's Spielberg and Roald Dahl fused together, and both emerge. Both mm. distinct voices can be heard, and that's what makes it so much fun. I like the cast. I like, particularly like Mark Rylance in it. Um, I think it works. As as, as I grew up with the BFG in animated form and the novel. I mean, I know the animated film better than I know the novel, yeah. I mean, admittedly, but for me, it works to, to both fan bases. I think both fan bases will be satiated by what, what effectively offers something new. Mm. And there's, there's enough in here that's actually new that makes it an intriguing watch, even if you know the book and the animated film inside and out. 
Number four. Born again. <laughs> Jason Bourne, which I liked, but it is Let's Go Round Again. It is, yeah. you know, it's a Greatest Hits album. It's, you know, a rehash. It's, greatest Hits and Punches. It is. Greatest yeah. Hits, Greatest Punches. Greatest Face Broken on Your Urinal. You know, <laughs> <laughs> because there's always someone getting yeah. a face broken on your urinal. In these it's movies. your typical Bourne. There's three great standout action beats yeah. strung together Car with chase at the end bits and, of dialogue. Yeah, that's it. You know, you know what you're getting. You're not going to be disappointed if that's what you're going for. If you want something new, though, that's where it's going to let you that's down. It. Number three. David Brent's Life on the Road. Have you seen this? I have seen this. Right, please, take 30 seconds and come on. Okay, I'd give it a solid 2.5. It's an okay TV-to-film adaptation, which seems to be the theme of the year. After, like, it does, doesn't it? fabulous and... Yeah, that kind of thing. It's it's all right. There's probably twenty minutes worth of pretty great jokes and comedy, and the rest you just wish you were at home on the iPlayer watching The Office. Number two, Suicide Squad. <laughs> right, you're gone. Hit, hit, hit me. I'll with tell it. you this on. as well. Okay, this is the most expensive soundtrack I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Do you know when you go see a Transformers film? Yeah, and you can. You can walk out and you'll and you'll say things like, "I I can see all the money. I could hear the money. You could hear the <laughs> most, money. Most yeah. expensive soundtrack. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Um. Aside from that, I I wasn't a fan of anything other than Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and Amanda Waller. And that seems to be quite a common thing. That does seem to be common. Those are the only reasons to see this. I mean, Jared Leto is awful. He really is just dreadful as as the Joker. I don't know if it's that he needed more to do. <laughs> like, I I don't think I don't think more would have helped. I don't know. No, it's like when you see the extended version of Batman Superman, you're like, yeah, it's still just as rubbish, but just now there's bad, more of it. Because yeah. um, that's been thing. People have been saying, oh, there's so much on the cutting room floor, but maybe it's a good job that it was there. Quite possibly. Yeah. Number one. Finding Dory. Go on, Case. I loved it. You loved it? <laughs> I, love, I loved it. Did, did you yeah. think that Ty Burrell and Ed O'Neill stole the show entirely? Yeah, perfectly cast. <laughs> perfectly, aren't perfectly they? Perfectly cast. I mean, you could, you could make a third one called Finding Hank, where you just get the rest of Modern Family to voice other sea creatures, and yeah. I, I would be happy with I that. I would say that. In fact, I'm genuinely surprised Ariel Winter has not popped up in in, in animated vocal form She might pop point. up as Ariel in the, that, that, that in the l- Little Mermaid. Ooh, that is good casting, actually. I was thinking about that, because that, this could segue into a small bit of film news. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Alan Menken are doing the music. For, for Disney's. Disney's version of that. Um, I think that Bella Fawn would be a good... Um, Ariel. Mm, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, you said uh, Ariel Winter. I'm, I'm thinking you that. want to see Ariel Winter. I, I want but to see Ariel Winter. Just quickly back to Finding Dory. Um, yeah, I thought the story was great. It did the Toy Story two thing of like taking the original premise and just twisting it just enough. Yes, a lot of humor, a lot of heart. Thought it was great. Yeah, I'll go with that. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. And we're back and dancing. So uh, we should, of course, get round to... Uh, we'll do some news and then we'll get yeah, to... We've got to put stop, it off as just, long as possible. Just wait. We've waited already three months. We've waited three months. Okay, let's talk about then. Uh, there's a bit of film news that ties into when we were talking about Suicide Squad, um, mm. which is, of course, the definition of failing upwards, uh, because Jared Leto has been cast in Blade Runner 2 alongside yeah. Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford. And I can't for the life of me work out how, because clearly they hadn't seen Suicide Squad. You wouldn't cast him for anything after that. Mm. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Oscar winner. It's just yeah, that's the thing, he's an Oscar winner. Lot of cash here, yeah, he will yeah. always will be he, an Oscar winner. Will he be a replicant or, or, rep- <laughs> or replicant? <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Um, have you heard about the Thor thing? Which Thor thing is this? The Thor I've, thing. Heard, I've heard a lot of things. Well, well there's, there's a fair few Thor things. Are you talking about the possible Doctor Strange? Connection? Yes, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Right, do you know about Do you know what this connection entails? 
details, exactly. I know bits and pieces about it. There's okay. been some set photos. They've but, been set photos. They've been filming in Brisbane. And what they've mm. done is they've made certain streets in Brisbane look like New York City. Yes. And New York has, uh, in, in this, in, while shooting, it's been made to look um, like it's in the aftermath of Doctor Strange. Mm. So, you know, all the decay and destruction from Doctor Strange is present in Thor Ragnarok. But what really does it, because that, that makes, makes complete sense, you know. I mean, presumably Spider-Man's going to have to have the same thing as you well. Think, you think there's got to be repercussions? There's got to be. Yeah. There's a city but, that folds uh, in on itself. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, what they've got now is there is a shot of Thor holding a business card mm. with an address, a Bleecker Street address written on it. And it's very visible. He's reading this card in the set photo. And... That's the address of Doctor Strange's uh, uh, Sanctum, Sanctum Sanctorum, Sanctorum. Yeah. Which, which is in Greenwich it's in New York. crazy big window. It, it is yeah. the big window that's in the poster the target, as well, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. People are now wondering, so is, is Doctor Strange going to cameo? Is, is that how this works? I think that would make sense. I can, I can see those two characters working together, yeah. There is also uh, footage that confirms a very old rumour uh, about what happened to Odin after uh, the end of Dark World, which is that uh, he is now a religious nut, wander, home, homeless man wandering the streets of New York. Yeah, can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be brilliant. But, uh, well, enough, enough dilly-dallying. Enough wasting of time. It's time to talk about Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. We've been looking forward to this. Yes, we have indeed. <laughs> okay, so Popstar Never Stop Never Stop. Yeah, let's hear about your incredible thoughts. <laughs> exactly. Let's just just a few. Exactly. So, Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping, uh, which is basically the big screen debut of The Lonely Island, is, is the best way to, to call this one. Yeah. So, The Lonely Island, who originated, I believe, on Saturday Night Live... Uh, yeah, originally. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. They started out as a sort of comedic musical act, and they've now blown up into this sort of cult, into this low, into this high-end cult phenomenon. Fronted by Andy Samberg, who most of us know from having been the sidekick in too many Judd Apatow-produced comedies, <laughs> and, uh, and and now gone on to Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. But there's actually two other members of the band, who are yeah. Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Tacone. And the, the trio make up The Lonely Island, they release songs that are usually... Not parody songs, but they are parodies on genre hmm. so much. So what you've got this time around is you've got Andy Samberg stars as Connor for real. One word, Connor for real. Yeah. Um, whose real four name is, is in the number. Yeah, four is in the number, but his real name is Connor for real. And the idea is the trio came up together as a group called the Style Boys, and they're loosely based on, on uh, NSYNC. Because at one Mostly, point, yeah. we are shown at one point that he was physically made to look like Justin Bieber, complete with oh, the hair. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, and the two shapes. Size, even had yeah. The, yeah, even had the hair. And just, uh, Justin Bieber, Justin Timberlake. And just like Justin Timberlake, he eventually, you know, grew past the band and basically went solo, became a megastar, released his album, Thriller, comma, also, uh, became an international <laughs> smash. That is a brilliant gag as well. Yeah. Um, but now, on the eve of his second album, Conquest, double N, um, <laughs> Conquest, he finds his career in decline and his world basically starts to crumble. His, his, he's descended into what can only be described as this Justin Bieber-like, entitled, idiotic, bro yeah. persona. And now he's forced to basically get real. And coinciding with all of this is the urge and the desire to reunite with the Style Boys, with whom he separated over a riff years earlier, well, one of them anyway, and basically basically reignites the, the, the brotherly musical act that once was. So, we have a clip, and this comes... <laughs> we have a clip. This comes following um, a, a, a less than well-attended one of Connor's concerts. Look, the low record sales is making them nervous. They want to bring on an opening act. 
What? We have an opening act. Owen DJs. Hey, I'm always saying Star Boys could be the opener. No, man. Will you stop with that? Dude, people keep blowing up my Twitter about us doing Donkey Roll. Oh, they're blowing up your Twitter? Yeah. How many followers do you have, Owen? Like 500,000. Okay, well, I got 20 million, and no one's asking me to do that. Oh, <laughs> man. Some of those are probably bots. Okay, look, guys. Regardless, we still have to decide on an opening act. Man. All right, fine. Does anybody have ideas? One. But you are gonna like it. Wait, did you say are or aren't? Are. <laughs> so yeah, Tim Meadows there. And the, let's be honest, the film is just a lot of fun. There's a lot of gags in it. There's a lot of gags compressed yeah. into a lot into a short time. The film's only about 80 minutes long. Yeah, I would definitely recommend seeing it two, if not maybe three times, just to get all of the jokes. <laughs> That's it. There's, There's a so lot fast, in there. Yeah. There's so many references. So many cameos. So many cameos. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't realize Weird Al was in it until you just told me. And I've There's seen the movie quite a couple heavy times. makeup. But yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly him. But I say it is hilarious. It, I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot of gags in there. It's the most successful attempt I have ever seen by anyone to try and replicate the success of, of This Is Spinal Tap. Because there have been many pretenders to that crown, many attempts. This is the one I think works the best out of all of them. And it's not because... I mean, the, the, gags, are, the gags are all successful, but they are varying degrees of success. But mm. given how many of them there are, those varying degrees really don't matter very much. Sandberg is on brilliant form as Connor. I mean, some of the songs that the trio have come up with for this are out of this world. Yeah, they're some of the best Lone Island songs. They, they, they yeah. really are. Um, Incredible Thoughts makes for a, a brilliant film finale complete with michael bolton appearance and then of course you've got finest girl which might be the best song i've heard this year which is really concerning it is just fun across the board i say sandberg's co-written it i believe the trio have all done different things so sandberg co-wrote it with akiva schaefer yeah and then akiva schaefer has, and joma have directed it yeah. yeah so and they've all produced it and this is the yes. idea but judd apatow produces it as well yeah it is an apatow and then production. turns up as a genital cameo is a nice way of saying it yeah and and, yeah, I was wondering where he was going to be, and I was like, oh. Right. <laughs> exactly. It is something that does need to be seen to be believed. Having said that, it's not something that's necessarily going to play to the older crowd didn't at the press show. No. And I think it's you have, if you know your pop culture, if you like your pop culture, if you find Left mm. Shark funny. Yeah, it's definitely for... Yeah, it's these for, kind of yeah, people. It's, yeah, it's for yeah. the Twitter for, for generation. Now, really, yeah. yeah, it's for the Twitter it's for now. Yeah, you, you could argue that it is, but like I said, it's like Spinal Tap for millennials, Spinal Tap for the Twitter generation. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's film of the week. Uh, definitely, I think it is film of the week. I would, I, I'll put shouts out, shout out there for, for well, War Dogs. It, it is the only one I've seen, so I will also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I concur with Pop. I think War Dogs deserves a look as well. I don't I'm think I'm definitely it... going to give it a show. I'm going to watch uh, Purge Election Year as well. Yeah, Purge Election Year. I like that concept. It is great concept. Concept, isn't it? Yeah. Do you kind of wish there was just an HBO series where every episode was a year apart? Oh man, yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Do that. Stop making shows like Vinyl. Gears <laughs> <laughs> a purge show. But uh, no, so I'm giving Film of the Week to Popstar, definitely. Um, next week, an interesting one next what week. We so next week, Woody Allen's back. We've got well, to, it is it is a new year. So it's been a year. So back, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a year since that uh, joke, Joaquin Phoenix one. Was it, what was that called? Like, not Irrational Man. Was it Irrational Man? It was Irrational Man. Irrational Man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Cafe Society is a new one with Steve Carell, Jesse Eisenberg, and uh, Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Sausage Party. Yeah, Seth Rogen's R-rated animated movie about food. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Morgan, the uh, Ridley Scott-produced okay, sci-fi Mara, horror movie. Yeah, that yeah, looks pretty interesting. We've got uh, The Ninth Life of Louis Drax, starring... Oh, uh, Alan Paul. 
Aaron Paul is also uh, Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan, that's it. Yeah, it's a thriller. Yeah, I, I was going to say so your man Christian Grey, and then and forgot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. We've also got uh, last but by no means least, Chick Lit, uh, starring Christian McKay. I have no idea what to expect for that one. And uh, well, yeah. So you know, we've got all these to come and more next week off screen. So in the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been as always, Case Allen. Don't forget to check out the podcast edition. Oh, we'll leave you with uh, with news in the meanwhile. By the way, that. Uh, uh, apparently, The Rock's role in Fast and Furious was written for Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, man, I wish I could see that. <laughs> oh, I really want to see that fight. So, all those to come on next week off screen. We'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras then, Mr. Allen. So, have you heard about uh, Ben Wishaw? I have. Is this this new project that he has? This new project. It's yeah. getting quite exciting. This has got Lin-Manuel Miranda in it as well, so I expect you'll be all over this. Of course, I'm a big fan of LMM. LMM. <laughs> as I'm never going to call him again. <laughs> no, it's a terrible, yes, terrible right. name. So he is going to be in Mary Poppins Returns. He's going to be the adult... Michael. The adult Michael. Yeah, and that's good this... casting. I could see it. I, I was either... Yeah. Yeah, I was actually thinking about him being about it. I thought really? either him or uh, Donald Gleason. Uh, I see, see that. I had so little faith in it, I just thought they'd get Chris Marshall and call it a day. But uh... <laughs> Poor Chris Marshall. Wait, I no. like my family. No, he did. He knows what he did. Um, <laughs> did those um, BT adverts for too long. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the, we've got the Ocean's Eleven spin-off, the uh, Ocean's Ocho, the, the ladies yeah, spin-off. Yeah, that's, that's got some new additions. Yeah, yeah. so we've got, we've got Anne Hathaway now. Mm. We've got uh, Rihanna. Yeah, because well. she's an actress. Because she's an actress, yeah. yeah. We've got... Uh, who else have we got? Uh, Mindy Kaling? Is Mindy there? Kaling. Uh, uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter. Sandra Bullock. Uh, carte Blanche. Carte Blanche. Uh, oh, and... Uh, oh, the R&B song. I can't remember R&B singer, and I can't remember her name. Uh, to IMB. To IMDB. To IMB. IMB. To... <laughs> I, I am a B. So this is, IMDb. This, is, this is for your Ladies Ocean's Eleven, yeah. then, that's, that's, that's coming out. That's I need be to figure out who that person was. Have you got Rupert Grint's new job? Rupert yes. Grint is going to be the star of the TV version of Snatch. So, someone else is going to be in that. Who else will they... We just uh, announced someone. Doug Ray Scott. Yeah. Doug Ray Scott's going to be in it. The man that wasn't going to be Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. The man, the man who would be Wolverine, yeah. Yeah, for them wasn't. Uh, and uh, Ed, Ed Westwick is going to be in there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, West Edwick, yeah. West Edwick. West Edwick. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about Julieta then real quick? Yeah, let's do it, yeah. Julieta? Julieta? What are we calling this one? Uh, let's say Julieta. I think it is Julieta. Sounds, sounds more Spanish. Although, strangely, they do call her Julieta in it. They're speaking Spanish. They seem to call her Julieta. Then let's call them Julieta. Let's it, say that. So it, this is uh, Pedro Almodovar. 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 Is it, is it Almodovar? I've been calling him Almodovar. Okay, well... Um, I get told off every time I say his name incorrectly. In your house? Yeah, by a certain big fan. (laughs) Okay. So Al Moldovar is back. and right, Would you say Al Moldovar is effectively the closest we've got to a modern Hitchcock? Because I I, I rapidly reach that stage. That's bold. Because you watch this film and you do think, if Hitchcock were still around and wanted to make family dramas, this is what he'd come up with. If we had a really fruity European Hitchcock. You mean we didn't have a fruity European Hitchcock? <laughs> okay, so this is the story. This is the story of um, of, of Juliette, the central character, who in her older years is played by... Is it Emma Suarez or... I can't remember now. I think... 
Let me let me look up because I can never tell which one's which. Which one's the older and younger? We get we get two versions of it, you see. So we've got Emma Suarez, and we've got Adriana Guanda, uh, Guarate. Emma Suarez is the older Julieta. Now, we meet right. the older Julieta. She encounters her daughter's childhood best friend on the street one day and is told, hey, I ran into your daughter when I was, uh, when I, when I was away, and, uh, you know, she looks thin, she didn't want to talk to me, and, and she has kids. And what this sets off, this sets off an emotional breakdown in Julieta, whereby she's for- she abandons her, her current relationship. She's about to leave the country with her other half. And, and go and sort of live in retirement. Um, she abandons that relationship. She leaves him. She settles. She packs up a flat, moves out, moves back into this flat she used to live decades earlier, and sits down writing a memoir, uh, basically an overly long letter to her daughter, which she knows her daughter may never read. And uh, what we quickly discover is that she hasn't seen her daughter in 13 years since her daughter went off pre-college to a three-month spiritual retreat and that after the three-month spiritual retreat her daughter disappeared never to be seen or heard from again and that this had basically destroyed her life this had destroyed Julieta's life she had moved on and tried to repress it and simply go on with her life but this awakens it all for her and what we get through through the course of her writing this memoir, like a diary, she sort of thing. She puts it in across two notebooks, I think, in the end. Um, what we get is we get this story played out for us, led by Adriana Garate as the younger Julieta. And there is there is a fantastic. We're not going to play a clip because obviously it's all in Spanish. Mm. There is a fantastic transition where they move from the younger one to the older one in the same shot. Cool. So the narrative catches up yeah. to the older actress, and wow. it's literally done whilst drying her hair. They swap the actresses out mid-hair drying. That's and it's cool. a brilliant effect. Um, both actresses, though, are fantastic. And it's quite clear that at some point he has to have had them both in the same room and said, right, we need to hammer out this performance and we need to get it down and consistent. Hmm. And you can see the evolution from one to the other. The threads are all there. You can see how it all clicks together. And, yeah. and it is great. What's surprising, really, about it is that, particularly for an Almodovar movie, and because for me his benchmark is, uh, is it The Skin I Live In? Yeah, I loved that. I loved that as well. Yeah. And that, for me, is almost the requisite Almodovar movie. I know there, I know there are more highly regarded ones, but that, for one. me, is is the one. Uh, all About My Mother. That's, yes. Yeah. But it's incredible. But again, say All My yeah. the Skin, the Skin I well, Live that, In. That was actually the first one I saw. Was, was the Skin that? I Live In? Yeah. Oh, okay. That was the first one I saw. But this is the thing. You do sit and think, actually, this is strangely um, simplistic for one of his films. I mean, it, he's, he's structured it in a, a non-linear kind of a way that you do have to... It, it does scratch your head a little bit at first. But once you've actually got all the pieces and the stories been mapped out for you, you actually think, huh, actually not that complicated. <laughs> kind of basic, kind of makes sense. Um, I say, I did like it. It is all about those two central performances. And our Moldovar can shoot the <laughs> out of anything he really can he, I he mean, really can it is yeah. a stunning film yeah. it's a genuinely stunning yeah, he does film. like the composition so well like you can you can really that's the it shots. but what he's done this time is this where it gets really clever okay so you know you've got a lot set in the present where you've got the older actress mm. and you've got this, a lot of flashbacks what he's done is he has shot the the present day stuff in this very clinical, very, uh, you know, very, very clinical, mm. very almost art housey way in this sort of uh, up close personal. But then when he gets to doing the flashbacks, he goes for, and this is where the Hitchcock influence comes in. It's almost classical framing. 
and you can see it all there. He has shot the flashback stuff like it's a Hitchcock movie. So you see a real, you see a proper distinction between the two. There areas. is a visual, yeah. you know, you you know instantly just just from the shot. Yeah. Even I if always, the actress is in like seeing things like that. I mean. The best example I can think of, even though it wasn't that that well done, was uh, the woman in gold. Yes, Do you remember that? Yeah, very yeah. much. That was yeah, that was the one with Helen Mirren in the younger form. She's Tatiana Maslany, isn't it? Yes, but when she when it when it does flash back, mm. um, it's it's like a bronzy kind of effect. It's uh, it's like a sepia toned. And yeah. Right, so I'm going to blow your mind now as well. So it's I'm got prepared. this. It's I'm got ready. this almost Hitchcockian score to it as well. And that score is by Alberto Iglesias. Now, do you know his work? You sure? I'm hoping he's related to Julio and Enrique. <laughs> well, he was the musician behind Steven Soderbergh's Shea. He right. was behind uh, The Skin I Live In, naturally. Makes sense. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That was oh, him. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Two Faces of January, Exodus, Mama. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's done, done some pretty solid he's got work. Some, uh, he's also the musician behind the currently in production The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. <laughs> So can't wait! Oh my god, it's actually happening! <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually happening. apparently happening for now. Fingers crossed. But uh, that's going to become like the, the film wow. critics' version of uh, Macbeth, and we're not going to mm. call it the Terry Gilliam film, but <laughs> yeah. uh, not the Spanish, not the Scottish play, the Terry the Gilliam, Terry Gilliam film. film. Okay, but, uh, um, I have a little bit of film news, uh, courtesy of the BBC. Have you heard about this? Uh, go on. The Beeb and uh, some uh, film critics, they've oh, released yeah. uh, a list of their 100, 100 favourite films of uh, the 21st century. Okay, what you got for me? I think some interesting Don't, don't go through the wall 100. Yeah, I'm not just going to sit here, but um, I will, I'll I'll quickly rattle through the top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so number 10, uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, okay. Oh, I do like film. Number 9, A Separation. Have you seen that? No, which one's A Separation? It's really good. It's, um, it's an Iranian film. It's about a couple that are separating oh, and yeah. the things that they go through. I, it won uh, best, uh, best Foreign Language at the Oscars that year, 2011. Okay, I yeah, have not seen that. I, sh- I shall definitely now. Check it out. Really good. Um, number 8, um, a 1 and a 2. I don't know about that one, sadly. Number 7, The Tree of Life. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Really? Gets better. Number six, uh, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Okay. Might be one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, number five, Boyhood. Oh, good God. <laughs> I feel like I can I can hear your eyes rolling. It's, it's, it's like they've constructed a list solely to offend me. Yeah. Well, it's going to get worse. Number four, Spirited Away. Uh, okay, no, I'll let have that. It's not one of the greatest great ever, film. but... It's a good hey, this movie. This is just of the 21st century, mind you. Okay. Uh, number three, oh, it's top three. Uh, mm-hmm. Number three, There Will Be Blood. Okay. There's a lot of PTA in this. The Master was number 22. Ugh. I know. Uh, number two, a film called In the Mood for Love, which I, I don't know. I, I don't know I one don't offhand, know no. One. Uh, but number one, what do you think number one is? Was it Mulholland Drive? It is Mulholland Drive. That's why I've seen it everywhere the last few days, yes. Yeah. Which I like a lot. I just want to. I just want to put it out there, put it um, just right to score, there. just to score some points uh, against my other half. Uh, that uh, <laughs> this means that every time they put a screenshot up of what is voted the best film of the twenty first century, yeah. there is a. That means they they usually use the image of Melissa George. Mm. Which I find hilarious, given my other half can't stand Melissa George, and Hater. I think she's just delightful. <laughs> I think she's just a treat. She's just a treat. But you know, this comes in the same week where uh, some audiences of the BBC voted uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys to be the greatest uh, <laughs> sitcom. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, maybe lists on what they're cracked up to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. List, lists, they ain't all that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have crack.com. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's, I, I agree. That. I agree with some of it, just not the top ten. <laughs> not the top ten, definitely not. Yeah. And let me see what I've got in the film news. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, oh have you heard about Perry Mason? 
I have, and of course you have. <laughs> of course I have. So, so this is the idea. that Robert Downey Jr. for years has wanted to make a movie out of Perry Mason, which I've always found very odd. But now, because HBO are having trouble keeping... Is it... What's his name? Nico... Is it Nick or Nico Pizzoletto? Pizzoletto, yeah. Pizzoletto. From who's the, uh, True Detective. Yeah, he's the creator, creator of True Detective. Yep. Because he's humming and hawing about whether or not to do a third series, because everyone hated the second, mm. I thought it was a masterpiece of awkward comedy. But um... It's one of those things. If you view it in the way that it's not meant to be viewed, it works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it's a masterpiece of, of awful comedy. Um, they're trying to keep him around at HBO because obviously he made this show that's so beloved mm. and they're having trouble coming up with a way so what they've done is they've approached Robert Downey Jr. and said will you two team up and do your Perry Mason thing yeah. for us do a thing do a and thing this could be Robert Downey Jr.'s first TV show in 14 years so are they going to do it as a TV show or as a short series as or, a limited a HBO or? series the idea I of having six to eight better, yeah. episodes a year kind of a thing yeah. and Robert Downey Jr. as Perry Mason yeah. and okay that could feasibly work I'd say Danny Jr. did do TV once. Alan McBeal. After, well, that's it. After he was a movie star, he then became a TV star and then a movie star again. Well, yeah. with a few stops in between. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But a few stops being to rehab. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But, mm. uh, hey, hey, do you know what? Credit to Robert Danny Jr. In his mugshot, he pulled off a hairdo that very few men could. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Very few men could do that. It's like Jonah Hill in War Dogs. It's that kind of a haircut. But uh, You were talking about the Frank Grillo <laughs> Impossibly erect haircut. Yeah, was that? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Robert Downey is going to be uh, Perry Mason. Uh, although, meanwhile, I do have um, a bit of news with uh, one of our favourite uh, favourite name directors, and I'm not talking about Raw Uthog for a change. Oh, I thought you were. And no, I, I, I'm still at home. I need to watch that film. You do. Oh yeah, because I gave you the the screen of Blu-ray. Yeah, 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 I will chuck it on this week. Thank you so much, Studio Canal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, send us more. <laughs> send us more new yeah. films on Blu-ray, please. Um, what else? Uh, this. Antoine Fuqua. Oh, Fuqua film. Fuqua film. Yeah. Oh, did we not talk about... Oh, of course, because we've been away for We've been away for, like, effectively a fortnight, yes. Oh, my goodness. So, so what has happened? So, Antoine Fuqua and his production label, Fuqua Films... Fuqua Films. ...are going to, going to <laughs> make you say. a contemporary LA-based version of Scarface. They're yeah. remaking Scarface. That would work so well. Yeah, you know what? Fine. Do you know who you get? Go on. Michael Peña. Ooh... I was going to say, who's the guy who takes a, takes the Patrick Swayze role in uh, Point Break? Edgar Ramirez. Oh, that'd work as well. That'd be good, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. I like him, but I feel like I've, he's not really shone in anything. That's it. I think, yeah. I think he could act. He just needs a chance. Yeah. But, <laughs> he just you know, needs to not be with David Russell. <laughs> yeah, he just needs to be in something really new and good yeah. and not full of douchiness like Point there Break. We there we are. Yeah. I have uh, just a really, really quick thing, and then we'll move on to the last review. Okay, go on. Okay, so, uh, Bad Boys. Let's just oh, talk that's about what this. I've got on my list as really? well. Like, oh. Literally, I was going to go for that. So <laughs> me, you, me, you me, 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 man. Yeah, we were working too long. Okay, so, so uh, Joe Carnahan, who we yeah. all like, we love him, he's a good man. He is uh, He's writing the third of the trilogy. Mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. also going to be the director. It's now got a new title. It has. Yeah. Would, you, would you like to reveal that title to Good. us, Mr. Uh, Bad Boys for Life. Bad boys for Bad life. Boys for life. We ride got, together, we die, we die together. together. It's also got a release date that I'll be finding in a minute. Okay, <laughs> the 12th of January 2018. Yeah, this is the so, thing, because it far, was really, penciled for next year originally. It was going to be the end of next year. It was, and also it was going to be a three and a four. Well, that's it. Now, the the idea... Of the, no, this is the third we're talking about. <laughs> the fourth was going to come after, yeah. Yeah, um, but that's, that's what I'm saying. We've oh, not, okay. not mentioned before. I don't know if that's still on the cards. Or well, not. This is the thing. The fourth was scheduled to be out in 2019. Right, yeah. So the idea now is because they've moved the third 
third one back six months. That presumably means they have to abandon the 2019 release date, and Bad Boys 4 could be 2020, 2021. Yeah. We, we don't know. But uh, I don't even know if that's even going to happen. It's, it's not been... Yeah, they've, I, they've not dated that one, so I don't know if that's yep. completely off. Or I, I got nothing. Wait. I got nothing. You got nothing. You've not spoke to Joe in a while, have you? <laughs> not. Nobody tells me nothing. Nobody tells me nothing, they do. <laughs> so uh, let's go on to our final review, then. Yes. Final review of the week. And <clears throat> for some people, this is quite an anticipated film as well. <laughs> It really should be. It was shot ages ago. I, I know it's been around a few years. It's been a long time coming, a long time languishing, and now it's here. Cell, the adaptation of the 2006 Stephen King novel, mm. which actually had a really great concept at the time, and is now kind of dated. Yeah. So the idea was, and this is this is the 2006 novel, that an event known as the Pulse transpires, in which everybody on a mobile, an active mobile phone is uh, affected by a new and unique signal around the world, all at the same time, that turns them into violent rage monsters. This sounds great. Exactly. So everyone becomes, like a 28 days later, rage monster. And they'll just turn on and start pulling each other apart. Into this mix comes a graphic novelist named Clay Riddell, played by John Cusack. Because he, why would he not be Clay Riddell? Exactly. Played by John Cusack, because this movie was made so long ago that John Cusack was still a movie star by then. <laughs> and uh, he teams... No sentences made me feel... Sadder. No, no, me neither. And he teams up with uh, a subway car conductor, Tom, played by Samuel L. Jackson, because if you got QSAT back in a Stephen King movie, you You might as well get Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, Yeah, 1408. And uh, Isabel Isabel Furman, who's uh, John Cusack's neighbour. Isabel Furman, you might remember, as the little girl from Orphan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, in which she was terrifying towards the end of that movie. Oh, man. And, yeah, ooh, that, that was a twist. That, 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 that yeah. was a twist. Nobody saw that twist coming, Isabel. Well watch, played. Watch that film. It's, it's pretty if good. You, if you've not seen Orphan, don't look it up. Just just go and watch it. That ending is so bonkers. He's carved out a pretty good career, hasn't he? I'm looking forward to pretty much everything that he will do now. Who's that? Uh, J.A. Biona. Oh, yeah, J.A. Biona. Yeah. yeah. Well, I forgot that was even him. Is that him? It is him, yeah. It is yeah. him, but I always forget that it's him, because he's, isn't he doing World Wars? Oh, he's doing Jurassic. He's doing Jurassic World, but he's also got a Monster Calls in October that ah. looks incredible. Oh, okay, pretty yeah. Anyway, so, back to Cell. Back, back to the plot of Cell. So, basically, you've got your three survivors, Clay Riddell, the graphic novelist, Tom, the subway conductor, uh, Isabel, Alice, played by Isabel Furman, who's just like the gothy girl next door. They team Alice. up. <laughs> yeah. And they basically set off across the country to track down Clay's ex, well, no, actually still wife and son, whom he's been estranged from for a year. But along the way, of course, there's all these rage mon- rage, rage zombies, I'm going to call mm. them? Rage zombies to fend off. <clears throat> they team up with other survivors along the way and learn the ins and outs of their new way of life. Here's a clip. I live upstairs. Yeah, I've seen you before. I'm Clay. Tom. I'm Alice. I think you guys should close the blinds. I don't think that's smart. You guys should close the blinds. I don't think it's going to be good if somebody sees us in here. You're going to close them. Tom, you close them. See, you close them. Are you hurt? What do you mean? Am I, am I hurt? Are you physically injured? Can I help you? I killed my mom. I killed my mom. I want to get out of this dress because it really smells so yes, you can guess you get the gist there. Uh, yeah, so we obviously we did mess up there because the orphanage is yes. directed by J. A. Bayona. Yeah. Juan Sarah, who directed The Shallows, he directed Orphan. Orphan. Okay, yeah. fair enough. easy mistake to make. 
It is. I blame Hollywood for coming up with such similar film titles. Exactly. So it's all your fault. It really is. So, <laughs> Shallows and Shallow Grave, that'll be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so back to Cell then. And, right, there is a feeling of repetition in the first... I say about the first half of the movie. There's some good stuff in there when the characters finally get it together, when they start effectively bonding. We've got because you've got basically a road trip without the road. It's just three characters walking through you know woodlands for a good chunk of the walk, movie. Walk trip. Exactly, but it's uh, and there's some good character stuff in there. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson gets some nice little zingers. He is somewhat on autopilot though, and John Cusack hasn't really had a charismatic performance probably since 1408, if we're really honest. Which is a shame because I'm trying he's to think so of something, good. but I'm that probably right. Might it? be it. Yeah, I don't know. Did you see that film uh, Grand Piano? <gasps> Tell a lie. He was pretty good at that. No, no, no. You know what we're forgetting? We're forgetting Love the and Mercy. Love and Mercy. He was. Yeah, good. He, he was, was good as good as in Paul that. Dano, but he was good in that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Take it back, John. Except we take it back. Sorry. Sorry, Johnny. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. But as I say, the problem is we live in a post Walking Dead world. We live mm. in a post. Uh, what's the Z Nation world? We live in mm. a post World War Z world. And the problem is we've had so much in the way of the zombie phenomenon yeah. that there is a lot of repetition here. There is. Not only do we have lot. Walking Dead, we have now Fear of the Walking Dead. <laughs> we do. <laughs> now third series, now Bored of the Walking yeah, Dead. Cooking with the Walking Dead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the problem is, it does feel almost obligatory. It feels like, well, you know, zombies are popular. Come on, Steve, we need your take on this. Exactly, and yeah. yeah. It does feel in every conceivable way like Stephen King does zombies. And Stephen King does great writing because he has written the screenplay for this as well. This oh, is really? this is a Stephen King screenplay, and wow. you can't help but think that's probably a bad idea, given that even Stephen King has admitted that when someone else has adapted his work, it has led to brilliant things. Stephen King admits that the ending of The Mist works better than his own book does. Mm. And you think, yeah, actually, to be fair, great we all remember ending, that ending. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the Which, most nihilistic things ever. He, he's, he's done this before, hasn't he? Has he done you know, he's, screenplays he's of his own? Yeah, he's co-written yeah. things before. But uh, this is the problem. It does feel like it's overdue, that it's past its sell-by date. It's directed by Todd Williams. I don't think he's done an awful lot in this, actually. Hmm. Uh, Todd Williams was responsible for uh, The Door in the Floor. Remember that? I don't. Okay, well, Paranormal Activity 2, you might remember that. I remember that, certainly. Okay, so this comes from the director of Paranormal Activity 2. It, frankly, I mean, that's because you can't judge anyone's directorial efforts by a, by a Paranormal Activity movie. It doesn't work that way. No. Um, it's just something that you have to do. If you're going to work in that area, you, you have to do it at some point. Exactly that, you know. It's, it's like working at Blockbuster. You just go and make a Paranormal Activity movie. Yeah. But uh, this is the problem. The film is quite visually uninspired. Narratively, it's uninspired. It's repetitive. It's dull. There's a couple of, you know, they're, they're half-hearted but effective enough performances. And you're not really bored. You're just unsatisfied, dissatisfied with it. Mm. That's the problem with it. That's the thing, I wanted more from a Stephen King zombie movie. And you just don't get it. I guess it's not really his forte, and also, like we've just said, there's so many zombie properties, so many great zombie properties, so... This has a technological aspect to it that they really could have done something with. Oh. Uh, specifically as regards the pulse and the effect it has Yeah, I like, I like that idea, that sounded cool. But there is an ongoing effect with them that I won't spoil for you. I mean, genuinely, it, it's an intriguing premise. You think, wow, you could have done something genuinely brilliant with that. You all start speaking Spanish. 
<laughs> exactly. I mean, put, right. put it this way. I mean, you can tell this was written in 2006 because, you know, well, written before 2006, because th- this movie presupposes that teenagers actually make phone calls, which Well, is... the last time you ever saw a teenager using oh, a phone for anything other than Instagram. don't make calls. <laughs> no, they make this face. <laughs> on they make duck face. They make duck face. <laughs> But uh, that's it. I really wanted something great from this. I just didn't get it. And I was really, really sad about that. Yeah. Uh, especially because Cusack, Sam Jackson. I think. Know. I mean, I I want Cusack to have a McConaughey. <laughs> you want him to have a new wave. I want him to have his own version. But I, I just don't know when. You want the Cusack attack. That's what you want. Cusack attack. <laughs> that's what it needs to be. Oh. The Cusack and, attack. But Sam Jackson's been smart because if you're in an, as many films as him. This just feel, this just feels like he had no, well, ten days free. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it does feel. You know what? I've got ten days free. It's New England. I'll just pop over. Might as well. And you know, just I'll, you know, it's, it just it's, loves to work. It's an IMDb credit. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. It's like I've got Avengers. I yeah. was in Star Wars, and I was one of the best things about prequels. Exactly. It, it does. It does the thing. Everything about it feels obligatory, and you do feel bad for like, for instance, Isabel Thurman, who will have viewed this as like her up her big break. You know, this is the biggest film I've been in. And you think, I feel bad for you, because you kind of should have known a Stephen King movie just doesn't fly these days. I mean, you know... The... When was the last truly great Stephen King adaptation, do you think? I would argue The Green Mile, I think. I'd say The Mist. you say The Mist? I'd say The Mist, yeah. in, in, terms of, in terms of actually recognised, I would say, uh, The Green oh, okay. Mile. okay, yeah. In terms of actually good, yeah, uh, you know, The Mist. I'll make a case I, that, for 1408 as well. Yeah, I, I did like Fortnite. I did like Fortnite. Yeah. I, I rewatched it recently, and it really worked. But, um, but actually, I've not seen it yet, and I think that you have. What's, What's that? that James Franco TV? I mean, it's not a Ooh, film. Oh, eleven twenty-two sixty-three. I've heard great things about that. That is very good. It is very, very. That's yeah. his uh, Stephen King time travel one where he has to prevent the assassination of James Kennedy. Yeah, that sounds great. James, did you said James Kennedy. James Franco must pre- must prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Sorry. <laughs> In your defence, there's been so many Kennedys that have died. It probably was James <laughs> Kennedy that died at some point. <laughs> it's very true. Did you know Kate Mara's in uh, Chappaquidditch? The the story of Ted Kennedy and why he was never president. No. Yeah, I didn't realise. I was reading I'd an interview with Kate Mara the other day, and yeah. it came up that she's in uh, Chappaquidditch. Ah. Did you know? Go on. <laughs> on, the, on the thing about Kennedys, um, Natalie Portman is going to be Jackie O in a film that comes out, I'm assuming, around Oscar season. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she she definitely looks apart. She's got the big old glasses and whatnot. Ah, fair enough. But uh, no, I, uh, I did not know that, and I can see that casting happening somehow. I can totally see that. No, oh, I really should. By the way, I was in uh, Soho screening rooms yesterday for uh, for Cell. Yeah, <laughs> to see Cell, and uh, they had on the monitors they had uh, Star Wars Episode Three. And at the moment I walked into the room, it happened to be our favourite moment, which is I have seen security holograms of him killing younglings. <laughs> 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 so bad. Best bit of those three films. It really is. Hands down. It really is. It's, oh, by the way, I did find, you asked me recently if I still had the uh, the gif that we created of Arnold Vosloo at the end of Mummy Returns, <laughs> no, when he does... No! no! Yeah. yeah, I did find it. About, oh, about, about a week later, I Can you put it on our it. feeds, please? Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll, I will. good good people to listen to. I think, I think I'll just put brotherhood, dot, 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 and then that gif. <laughs> that's, that's where it'll be. <laughs> at Noel Clark. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not screwing with Noel Clark. No, I've, yeah, I've, I've powerful, seen powerful enemy. Yeah, I've seen what you did to Adam Deacon, and no, actually, it's pretty sad what happened to Adam Deacon. Well, yeah, it was it was a disorder that he he had, and he is he is getting through it, which is is, is that what it was? I'm not I'm not familiar with the later stages of this. Well, story. I I believe that he's got bipolar. And, is that what um, it is? Yeah, when when he went off the reservation a couple of years ago, that was 
basically the whole the whole thing behind it and um he is getting a little bit better and oh, and that that was yeah that was their, was, their following was out. adam deacon in that danny boyle series babylon yeah i think he was what the, the james nesbitt one yeah yeah i think he was i really liked that show i really liked that as well i hope it comes back i mean it probably won't but yeah what's his name from um from peep show uh, uh patterson joseph Didn't... oh yeah, yeah he was really good in that the the man with the backwards name so I call him. <laughs> it actually is a backwards <laughs> yeah, name isn't it totally patterson is it. joseph but yeah. uh, and then there's David Johnson, Keith. Johnson, there's name, David yeah. Keith who has a backwards name as well. <laughs> David Keith, Keith David. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin, man. <laughs> How have they never teamed up? I don't, I know. don't get that. <clears throat> there is a film. Let's get a sequel to They Live, where oh yeah, that would work. Keith David is the same character. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see them like team up for a movie. <laughs> it would just be called Keith Dave Keith comma David. Yeah. Oh. Or Keith slash David. Yes. Like Keith Face Off. slash David. That was so Just weird. remake Face Off. Remake Face Off with Keith David and David Keith. That would be amazing. That writes itself. It really does. But uh, <laughs> Have you got any more film news? I don't. I'll be honest, I got lost in the, in the milieu of talking about <laughs> Keith David and David Keith. But uh, no. I, I think I am, I am all out. I am all out. Oh, I do have week. one. I do have one, actually. Do you remember that, oh, that movie? You know that movie I absolutely hate? Soul Surfer. Yeah, you, you remember that one? That one that that. Uh, that that one that Dennis Quaid will do, but he won't do a sequel to GI Joe. Yeah, and no one can really answer that one as to why. Well, he's uh, Sean McNamara who directed that. He's now directing a film called Reagan. It's going to be a twenty-five million dollar independent biopic told from the perspective of a KGB agent assigned to shadow Ronald Reagan. You see, they'll make that, but they won't make the Will Ferrell Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> Although you you do look at the concept for the Will Ferrell one and think, how did anyone think they were getting away with that one? Yeah. Because, yeah. Although, you know, we did make The Iron Lady whilst Thatcher was still alive. I, so... I think that is my least favourite biopic of all time. What? Iron Lady? Yeah. I don't know. Evita, for me. I, I, I don't mind Evita. Do you not? I, I particularly I like despise it. You like the songs. I like... I like, I like do you mean you like that one song that everybody knows and that's about it? There's a bunch of songs. It's not just about one song. Really? Yeah. How that, do you know that's 20 years old now? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Tony Banderas, not aged a day. <laughs> no, he has not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you where I keep my stem cells. <laughs> Tis the heart of a mountain. Tis finally broken. <laughs> oh, man. What was that oh, film called? The 33. The, 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 the 33. The 33, yeah. Oh, my God. With uh, Chilean... Uh, Chilean Gabriel name? Byrne. Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> a Chilean Irishman. Yeah, the most, the most Irish Chilean who has ever lived. And of course, Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche. Because, you know, French and Chilean. That is, that is a good cast for such a bad, bad film. Oh, yeah. What movie did she go on to make? I can't remember now. What, oh, Mir- Miracles. No, no, no. The director. The director of that movie. Yeah. Patricia Riggin, I want to say. She went on to right. make the god awful religious Jennifer Garner drama Miracles, Miracles from, from Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think the world would have been better off without. I would have sooner watched a sequel to The Odd Life of Timothy Green. I would sooner have watched a sequel to Beautician and the Beast. I would watch that again. Really? Yeah, man, Dalton. I watched Dalton and Anthony. Yeah, but Dalton and Franz Rescia. I watched Dalton have sex with my wife. You'd watch Dalton have sex with your wife? Really? Yes. On that note, here it is, your moment of cage. Daddy, I'm scared. Come on, Mindy. Honey, be a big girl now. There's nothing to be afraid of. Is it going to hurt bad? Oh, child. Only for a second, sugar. A handgun bullet travels at more than... 700 miles an hour. 700 miles an hour. So at close range like this, the force is going to take you off your feet for sure, 
but it's really no more painful than a punch in the chest. Why are you getting punched in the chest? You're gonna be fine, baby doll. Uh.